If God is able, we are able. Welcome to the One Cause Church podcast with Pastor Eric Holler. Take your Bible and turn to Philippians chapter 2, and I want to say hello to a very dear friend of our church. I've been, was a long-standing member of our church when we were uh, Cornerstone Worship Center and did a lot of ministry with us through the years in music and even some teaching as well, I'm sure. Uh, you've taught, haven't you, Cindy? Oh, yeah, sure. Uh, Cindy Joe is here with us tonight. We're really honored to have you, Cindy Joe. <laughs> Amen. Well, Stevie and Rocco ended up at the pearly gates. Stevie and Rocco came right out of Brooklyn and showed up at the pearly gates, and there's St. Peter, and they said, oh, Pete, good to see you. Two guys from Brooklyn, we're here to enjoy heaven. St. Peter said, I don't think so. They said, yeah, good, good people can come out of Brooklyn. Stevie and Rocco. He says, uh, I'll have to check on that. So he gets on the phone and calls uh, the big man. And uh, so he says, he, he says, I got two guys from Brooklyn. They say that good people can come from Brooklyn. Can I, can I come see you? And they said, he said, yeah. So they said, yeah, go see him. He'll tell you the same thing. So Peter left and went and had an audience with God. He said, it's got these two guys from Brooklyn, Stevie and Rocco. They say that good people can come from Brooklyn and that they have a place here in heaven. God said, you know, they're right. They're right, Peter. Good people can come from Brooklyn. Okay, you're the boss. You say so. So he headed back out there to the pearly gates, quickly got on the phone, called God. God said, what's going on? He said, he said they're gone. They're gone. He said, the guys from Brooklyn? He said, no, the pearly gates. Yeah. Okay. I, that comes from Dr. Holler to you tonight. I'm just passing on the message. <laughs> All right. We are in our part four of Philippians chapter two, and uh, we're going to start in verse 12 tonight. And if you want to catch up on any of this teaching that we've been doing, you can download our podcast, go to onecausechurch.com. All of our podcasts are free. I counted them today. We have 298 up right now. Wow. So we've got lots of resources for you in teaching and preaching. So, and it's free to you. So tell everybody about it. We've, we've been getting reports uh, over the years of how it's affecting people out there, people's lives that we don't even know. We don't even know who's listening to it, but we know they are. So it's exciting. Amen. Verse 12, therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. And I want to just correlate that with Galatians chapter 5 and verse 25 from the message translation. I like the message translation. It says this, since this is the kind of life we have chosen, the life of the Spirit, let us make sure that we do not just hold it as an idea in our heads or a sentiment in our hearts, but work out its implications in every detail of our lives. Isn't that powerful? Work out its implications. So now I want you to notice here that Paul does not say, tell us to work for our salvation. He says to work out our salvation. All right? You know, the muscles that you have in your body right now are the very same muscles that you came out of your mother's womb with. And they'll be the same muscles that you'll go to your grave with. You never increase the amount of muscles that you have in your life. You simply develop those muscles that you have. 
When you exercise those muscles, you don't get more muscles, right? We have that in our vernacular, right? But you simply give those muscles the potential that they've always had to grow. You get, look at Brad, you can see how muscles grow over there. You get more of the, listen, you get more of the same muscle. Did you hear me? You just get more of the same muscle, right? It, it grows. It must be worked out in order for it to grow. And, and you know, the truth is you won't ever really know what you have until you work it out. Paul says to work out your salvation. Work it out. Romans 1.17. We know 1.16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes, the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, verse 17 says, for in it, that is in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. I love that. The righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. So you work out your salvation or your righteous state by faith. Faith is what reveals righteousness. Well, that's good. That's so good, you ought to say it too. Faith reveals righteousness, all right? In it, the righteousness of God is revealed, how? From faith to faith. That is faith, their initial faith for salvation to your faith to live by. Amen. The just now live by faith. Now watch, fear and trembling. It says, with fear and trembling. This word fear and trembling, this phrase, fear and trembling, has the connotation to it that we are weak in our own strength to work it out. It's impossible for us to do that through the flesh. Our dependence on God and his ability is the only way that we can successfully work, work it out. That's what it means with fear and trembling, with reverence that it's going to take God to make this thing happen. You're going to have to get him involved in, in the process. You cannot do it on your own strength. But watch, faith is the victory, the Bible teaches us, right? 1 John chapter 5, verse 4. It also teaches us that faith is the good fight. All right? Faith is the exercising of your righteousness muscle. That is, when you walk by faith, you don't get more righteousness. You just reveal the righteousness you already have. Hallelujah. The exercising of your faith is accomplished by what comes out of your mouth. The exercising of it is directly connected to your confession. You remember what 2 Corinthians 4.13 says? That we also having the same spirit of faith, as it is written, I believed and therefore I what? Spoke. We also believe and therefore speak. So faith is believing and what? Speaking. It comes by hearing and it is released by speaking. So this all has to do with the exercising of our faith as accomplished through our confession. That is taming our tongue to let our speech always be with grace, to let no corrupt word proceed out of our mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, right? Uh, saying to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea. Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit, as the psalmist teaches us. Holding fast the profession of your faith without wavering, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, right? So the exercising of that faith the exercise of that is, is, the, is what's coming out of our mouth, the heart belief and the mouth speech, all right? This is how we generate that faith operating and, and that righteousness is revealed. Glory to God.
It's all there. It's all the moment you put your faith in Christ, you become at that moment as righteous as you will ever be. Ever. Man, that's, a, that's, a, that's quite, quite a thought to grasp, isn't it? As a matter of fact, at that moment, you are just as righteous as Jesus himself. Because you received his righteousness when he became sin. You became righteousness. Look at verse 13. For, watch, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to do for his good pleasure. There's, and that's, that's the reason why we have fear and trembling. And the fact, and the thought is, think about this, it's God that's working in us. It's God working in us, and it's us working with him. It would have been, you know, many of you who, who lived a few years before you, you know, for yourself or for the devil, before you surrendered your life to Christ, it would have been, you know, quite an amazing thought that once you got saved that you could actually do something for God now, right? That you could do something for God. You did other things against him for so long, but now you can do something for him. But God, didn't, God did not take you there when he saved you. He said, no, you're not going to do something for me. You're going to do something with me. And he elevated you right up beside him, see, and made you a partner, a co-heir with Christ. You're seated with Christ in heavenly places. Hallelujah. Pulled you right up alongside him and said, we're in this thing together. It's God that's working in you, both to will and to do for his good pleasure. Do all things then without complaining and disputing. You might need to just underline that in your, in your Bible and highlight it and put it up on your mirror in your bathroom when you get up first thing in the morning. Let that be the first thing you see so you watch the first thing you say. Do all things without complaining and disputing that you may become blameless and harmless. Wow. That you may become blameless and harmless. That, has a, that tells you the power of your words right there, doesn't it? And your whole attitude. Children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. Holding fast, here it is, the word of life. That is, you get the right words in your mouth. The word of life is what? It's the word of God, right? Peter said to, to his disciples in John chapter 6, after he said, whoever eats my flesh and, and drinks my blood, then he's my disciple. And a lot of those disciples went, oh, okay, I'm out of here. I don't even know what that means, right? So then he looks to his 12 and says, you want to go too? And Peter said, where will we go? You have the words of everlasting life, Right? You have the words of life. Holding fast the word of life, so that I may rejoice in the day of Christ that I have not run in vain or labored in vain, that my work is paying off by what's coming out of your mouth. This is powerful. Yes, and if I'm being poured out as a drink offering on the sacrifice and service of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. For the same reason, you also be glad and rejoice with me. What an amazing, amazing book this Philippians is. Now, I want to get into a few things. If you have your version app on your electronic device, I have some notes for you to follow by here for the next little bit. Are you with me? Yes. How many of you like to read other people's mail? I'm not, I'm not telling you should read other people's mail. I'm not asking if you like if other people read your mail. I'm asking you, about your enjoyment or your curiosity about other people's mail. Like if you went to somebody's house and they had a letter open 
on the counter, are you kind of apt to look over that letter? Right? I'm kind of that way. So if you have open letters in your house and you don't want me to see them, (laughs) when I come over, just uh, put those things away because I'm going to eavesdrop a little bit. Right? (laughs) But think about it. Did you ever consider that, that when you're reading the Bible, you're reading somebody else's mail? Every book in the Bible was originally written to someone else other than you, originally, right? So there isn't a person alive who can say that a book of the Bible was originally written to them personally, right? Uh, uh, but the fact becomes very relevant when you read this great book, Philippians, this great letter, which has been called the tenderest letter that Paul ever penned, and there's no doubt about it. And certainly it's the most joy-filled book in the Bible. But here, the great apostle reveals his heart in the most unguarded and vulnerable manner. It's really beautiful. We, kinda, we see Paul up close and personal in this book. You can uh, generally tell something important about a person by the company that he keeps, the kind of friends he has, or even the kind of enemies he have, has. And Paul had plenty of both. We know that he had lots of Jewish opponents and, and even had a lot of Christian Um, opponents as well who didn't care for his style of ministry. But he also had lots of friends. If you ever look over in Romans chapter 16, you might mark mark that, that there's a list of people that he goes through that he greets and, you know, all that kind of stuff. But here we're going to get into uh, these next few verses where he talks about two of his very close, two men who are very close to him, uh, two young men, one named Timothy and the other one named Epaphroditus. I think Timothy got the better name out of the two. Um, Timothy was like a son to Paul that we see in verse 22, and Epaphroditus was like a brother that we see in verse 25. And together, these two friends ministered to him in prison, you know, encouraging him, keeping his spirits up, and helping him in the work of the ministry. And You know, a good, well-balanced life as a Christian, to live a good, well-rounded Christian life, you really need three people in your life. Every one of us do. We need a Paul, we need a Barnabas, and we need a Timothy. We need a Paul, somebody who is mentoring us spiritually. We need a Barnabas, a good close friend. And we need a Timothy, somebody who's looking to us for spiritual guidance. Now, let's jump into this, verse 19. We're going to get, you might write these down. If you don't have the notes, just write these things down. Five principles for being an effective Christian, all right? Number one, people over profit, P-R-O-F-I-T, people over profit. Look at verse 19, but I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly, that I also may be encouraged when I know your state. For I have no one like-minded who will sincerely care for your state, for all seek their own, not the things which are of Christ Jesus. So Timothy came from a mixed marriage. We know that his father uh, was a Greek uh, it was both ethnic, ethnically and spiritually, apparently, because when Paul begins to talk about Timothy's faith, he says that he got it from his mother and his grandmothers. His dad's not even listed in that lineage of faith. So more than likely, the fact that his father was a Greek um, and, his mo- and his mother was a, a Jew, but also his dad apparently was an unbeliever, and his mother was the one who had been converted to Christianity. And over time, Paul came to trust this Timothy. Uh, so completely that he kind of became Paul's stand-in guy. Um, 
He was, he was Paul's right-hand man who represented Paul when he himself couldn't go to a, you know, a certain church. He would just send Timothy. Um, and Paul says in verse 20 that he has no one that's like-minded. That, that Greek word literally means equal in soul. That's awesome. I mean, he really trusted this guy to, to bring his kind of ministry to people, his kind of attitude, his kind of anointing. Um, to himself, Timothy stood out in Paul's mind as a man who cared more about others than he did for himself, that he regarded people over anything else. Casey Stone, Casey and Parrish Stone, um, who are a part of our church, who came back, how long have they been back here now? At least a year now, right? A year? And they help with, there are music directors in our Dallas location, um, and uh, they travel and minister, and, but they were out and we'd sent them, or dad sent them out to Granbury to be with Pastor Brandon Mercer for about five years, and they ministered music out there and those kinds of things. Well, Casey uh, was leading worship, and they had, a, they had a few visitors come this Sunday, and after the service is over, this woman walks up to him, and she says, golly, she said, there's something about you that reminds me of my old, my old pastor. And uh, he said, oh, really? Well, thank you, I think. Is that a good thing? She said, that's a good thing. She said, I mean, I felt like I was, I was back under his ministry again. And uh, he said, well, who is your old pastor? She said, well, I, I'm, out, I'm from uh, West Texas, out in San Angelo. And he said, yes, who was your pastor? She said, his name is John Holler. He said, he's my pastor too. Isn't that interesting? That like annoyance. She said that... that Whatever he was bringing was much like his father in the faith. See, this is the kind of relationship that Timothy had with Paul, that he, he could trust him and know that he's going to represent him to the fullest. He's an equal soul. It's awesome, isn't it? Now, uh, let's look at this. If you're going to be an effective Christian, you're going to have to esteem others better than yourself. People over profit means that you'll do what it takes. And Timothy was willing to do it, to care for to pray for, to take the time, to be a friend, to serve, to love, amen, to witness. People are the only thing that we're going to take to heaven with us. Amen. So it's the greatest investment for us to put our lives into while we're here on the earth. Amen. Um, Let's look at verse 22. The next thing, the the next principle that we see for being an effective Christian is character over conformity. Verse 22, but you know his proven character, that as a son with his father, he served with me in the gospel. Therefore, I hope to send him at once as soon as I see how it goes with me. But I trust in the Lord that I myself shall also come shortly. Paul said Timothy had proved himself to him. The word means to be approved by passing a test. It has the idea of demonstrating under pressure that you have the right stuff. Amen. So how did he prove himself? How did Timothy prove himself to Paul? Because he stuck with Paul through thick and thin. Because you remember another guy named Mark, John Mark, who didn't. And that's actually what tore Paul and Barnabas apart was a discrepancy over John Mark. Barnabas felt like John Mark was ready, and Paul said, I can't trust that guy. When it gets tough, he gets out, he flees. He's not coming with us. And Barnabas said, yes, he is. And Paul said, no, he's not. And Barnabas said, well, then I'm not either. 
And Paul said, well, Sinor, Barnabas, and Barnabas took John Mark, and they went on their way, and we don't hear one more thing about them. And that's when Paul found Timothy. He was with him, volunteering to tackle the tough jaws by doing, doing just the menial tasks and the dirty work so Paul was free to do what he did the best. This kind of proving does not happen overnight. There's a lot of people who want that instant spirituality and overnight maturity. It just don't work like that. God did not set it up that way, did he? Right? Christian character takes time and effort. Give you a little equation, a little formula. Time plus discipline equals growth. Hmm. We love that D word, don't we? I had a guitar student one time who told me that I was way better at guitar than she was, which I agreed. So thank you for speaking the obvious. She, uh, she told me that uh, she would never be as good as I was. And I almost agreed to that again, but I didn't want her to lose hope. So I told her that, you know, I said, you know what? I've been playing guitar for 25 plus years now. It's taken 25 plus years to be this good. This is your first lesson. She said it in the very first lesson. You're better than me. I went, you just started. What do you expect? Right? This is your first lesson. I mean, I mean, as a matter of fact, I told her, if you could actually play guitar as well as I can on your first lesson, I'm going to sit at your feet. I've got some learning to do. But... Um, I just told her, I said, it takes time. It's a process. And that's what it is. I mean, you'll never give yourself the opportunity if you're not willing to spend the time to do it. Nothing worthwhile could be conquered in one evening. You can't blitz your way into spiritual leadership. Amen? You've got to do what Timothy did. Put yourself under a good leader and pay the price over time. God wants faithful people who have proved their worth over the long haul. Because you might be born with talent, but you're going to have to cultivate that character. Amen. Number three, write this down, teamwork over competition. Verse 25, yet I considered it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother, fellow worker, and fellow soldier, but your messenger and the one who ministered to my need. Epaphroditus was a, he was a leader in the church at Philippi who was sent by the church at one time to bring a gift to the Apostle Paul. And uh, his name's not mentioned anywhere else in the New Testament um, except right here. And uh, he doesn't seem to have been a preacher in the usual sense as we see like Timothy or even um, Tychicus, but he, he was more kind of a, a, a deacon, the guy who did the work. <laughs> a godly uh, layman, if you will, willing to, willing to serve, willing to just do whatever it took uh, to risk everything for the cause of Christ. But I want you to notice something that Paul uses three terms to describe Epaphroditus. Number one, a brother. That is, what Paul said is he's a member of the same family. Number two, he's a fellow worker. That is, he's a member of the same team. And number three, he's a fellow soldier. He's a warrior for the same cause. Verse 
25 contains one more term that you and I might miss if we just look at it in the English, and that is your messenger. When he says, calls him your messenger, he uses the Greek word apostolos, which is the word for apostle. Paul calls him their apostle to him. Isn't that awesome? That is what it literally means, one who is sent officially representing someone else. So he said, you're coming. Epaphroditus is your apostle to me. And usually that word is, that term is used for the 12 apostles, you know, of Christ or even the apostle Paul, but he uses the same term in a more general sense. Now watch, this really speaks of what Paul thought about Epaphroditus, doesn't it? He doesn't call him a son, he calls him an apostle. He calls him a fellow worker, calls him a brother. By piling those terms together, he makes it clear that he holds him in high esteem. You know, I find it really encouraging that Paul did not pull rank with him either. He's an apostle, but I'm a better apostle. You know, or what? But instead went out of his way to praise him to his hometown people. President Ronald Reagan had a slogan that was displayed on his desk in the Oval Office at the White House. It read, there is no limit to how far a man can go if he doesn't care who gets the credit. Number four, write this down, kingdom over comfort. Verse 26, since he was longing for you all, that's Epaphroditus, and was distressed because you had heard that he was sick, for indeed he was sick almost unto death, but God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. Traveling from Philippi to Rome was not an easy journey at that time. It was an 800-mile ride uh, across the boat ride across the Mediterranean Sea. And so when Epaphroditus got to Rome, he fell ill with a really serious disease and nearly died. In those days, there was something called the Roman fever. It's possible that's what he had, and it took lots of lives. But if you've ever traveled abroad, anybody here ever been to a third world country? Right? If you've ever traveled abroad, especially to that kind of system, I mean, I've been to India a couple of times, and that you know you have to take some extra precautions and sometimes uh, extreme medical precautions for your safety because your body's not used to that kind of environment, that kind of lifestyle. Um, my, my brother, Pastor Brandon, um, went to Mexico years ago. And uh, while they were there, I mean, they were trying to follow the leadership that, that had brought them there to help. Uh, they were building a Bible school, I think. And... Um, so there were these certain restaurants that they told them that it was, it's okay to eat here, it's okay to eat over here because the food's going to be good. It's not going to be contaminated. We know it's tried and true. So they, him and uh, Brian Sparks from uh, over in Sulphur Springs, a few others, went and ate this restaurant, and uh, he gets back home and has hepatitis. And it's so sick. I'll never forget. I, I was really worried about him because uh, he, would, he would just lay on his couch and if he, if he moved, if he had to get up to move, he would just throw up. And so he, he would lay there, and even if he cut his eyes in one direction, he would immediately just get very dizzy. And uh, so he would just try to lay as still as he could. And uh, it was just a miserable time, well, for all of us, because he was moving at that time, and I had to move all his furniture. I was like, dude, come on, all right. It's hepatitis, get up, you know. But, but he got really sick. But that's the risk. That's the risk he took. And Brian got sick too. Um, but he didn't get as, as extreme as, as my brother did. But they both, thank God, they recovered and they're doing well today. But, you know, 
it's the risk you take when you go to places that are not like where you live. But this message, though, this message of Christ compels us to go beyond those, that kind of thinking and those kind of limitations and those kind of boundaries. That's, that's the kind of guy that Epaphroditus was, that he was willing to do whatever it took, risk his body, risk his health, risk anything, just to do something for the Lord. Boy, that's powerful. His kingdom must be the foremost thing in our hearts and minds. I mean, if we're going to be effective Christians, Jesus said it like this. We all know the scripture, Matthew 6, 33. But seek first, what? The kingdom. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added unto you. Epaphroditus, he faced all the dangers of travel without the benefits of the modern medicine as we have it. As a result, the disease he contracted uh, nearly took his life. And so the, the news got back to the Philippian church that that had happened. So they were very worried about him um, and about his, his state. And then that distressed Epaphroditus that they were upset, that they were worried, right? Think about this for a moment. I mean, he leaves home, makes this dangerous journey to an unfamiliar country with a new culture where he's exposed to this deadly disease, far from family, far from friends, nearly died. So why would he put himself in such a position? It just doesn't really make sense. simply for Christ and his kingdom to be counted worthy of that calling. He did it for Jesus' sake. He stepped out into harm's way and harm hit him head on, but he overcame it. Paul says, by the mercy of God, he overcame it. Think about it. How would you respond to this ad, all right? Wanted, understudy for a well-traveled but trouble-prone missionary, must be able to suffer illness and hardship without complaining, to travel to distant countries and be separated from your loved ones for long periods of time, to teach and be taught, to evangelize, organize, and be flexible when nothing goes right, must put up with low pay, long hours, high stress levels, and intense opposition, often attacked, occasionally stoned, beaten regularly, frequently arrested, interested applicants should contact the Apostle Paul. Any takers on that? I saw a great quote that said, the Christian ideal has not been tried and found wanting. It has been found difficult and left untried. We're almost done. You guys okay? All right. Number five. The fifth principle to being an effective Christian is service over security. Look at verse 28. Therefore, I sent him the more eagerly that when you see him again, you may rejoice and I may be less sorrowful. Receive him, therefore, in the Lord with all gladness and hold such men in esteem. Because for the work of Christ, he came close to death, not regarding his life, to supply what was lacking in your service toward me. When I was attending Christ for the Nations, there was a man who came. At this time, he was a very old man. His name was Richard Wormbrandt. Some of you might know who Richard Wormbrandt is. He, was, uh, he wrote a book called Tortured for Christ. Anybody read that book, know who I'm talking about? And he was uh, behind the Iron Curtain and was imprisoned and tortured for many, many years uh, for preaching the gospel. I mean, the stories this man had, amazing that he even survived all that. But they so tortured Brother Warmbrandt's feet that he just couldn't walk normally anymore when he, when he was rescued, when he was delivered uh, back to the U.S. And... Um, as we're all sitting in that auditorium, 
they, he has two men on each side, and they're, he's just slowly shuffling to get to that pulpit. And I remember as a kid seeing that book on my parents' table in the house, you know, and dad telling us stories about him and his, and his sacrifice for the Lord, for the gospel. And uh, I, I had no idea he was even coming. I was shocked. It was awesome hearing the stories and now seeing the man behind the stories. And he made it to the podium, and he held on to it like this, real tight. And he looked up out over that student body and said, my children, he said, I call you that. I believe I've earned the right. And I started weeping like a baby, thinking that what this man did deserved every bit of esteem and honor from every person sitting in that room who would possibly someday put their own life at risk. But to see somebody who did it, to stand there and continue to testify of the goodness of God and of a Savior who saves is why it's worth why it is always worth our service over our security any day of the week. The message is simple. Paul's sending Epaphroditus back to his people, even though he actually needed him in Rome. He does this because he wants the church there not to be worried about him. What he tells them is, is you've got a great man here. Give him the honor that he deserves. He risked his life for me. Make sure that you show him your appreciation. Now, I want you to note the phrase in verse 30, not regarding his life, or that phrase is risking. It means risking his life, that he risked his life. It's the Greek word. I like this word. Just be patient with me as I try to pronounce it. Let me spell it, and then you'll understand. P-A-R-A-B-O-L-E-U-O-M-A-I. Got that? All right, everybody say it. Just... Parable, para something. Paraboleu omai. Okay, which means, watch, which means to expose oneself to danger, to risk, or to gamble. It was used of the people uh, who spoke of their friends at the risk of, of their own, uh, or I'm sorry, spoke up for their friends at the risk of their own safety and security. Uh, sometimes it was used of a fighter who exposed himself to danger in the arena. Um, but several hundred years later, during the time of the Emperor Constantine, there arose these societies of uh, Christian men and women who called themselves the Parabolani, the Parabolani, which is rooted in that word, and it means the riskers or the gamblers. Parabolani. They ministered to the sick, the imprisoned, and the outcasts. They saw to it that martyrs received uh, an honorable burial. History tells us that they were considered an odd group, eccentric and somewhat on the edge. We as Americans, American Christians, have have constructed a Christian culture that is effectively keeps us from risking anything to uh, for the sake of the gospel. And we often don't take risks because we're just simply afraid of either you know losing our advantages or reputation or whatever it might be. But you know the truth is, when you fear God, you fear nothing else. When you fear him, you fear nothing else. But if you do not fear God, then you'll fear everything. God is looking for some gamblers. He's looking for some risk takers, searching for some that are willing, those who would rather serve 
than to be secure. Because the truth is, God did not call us to be safe. He called us to serve. Amen? Yeah. Now, how many of you know he's with you? Yeah. yeah. He's with you. And he's for you. I mean, but if you're going to die, what greater honor to die for than the cause of the Lord Jesus Christ? Amen. In the end, Jesus is going to say, well done, good and faithful servant. Not, well, you sure lived a good, safe life. I don't want him saying that about me. Right? I want to hear him say, well done, not, well, you're done. <laughs> Amen. Well done, good and faithful servant. So we see those five things there, those five principles um, for an effective Christian life. Keep these things in your hearts. Keep these things in your minds. And understand that we have a great call from God to fully Expose this light that we are. People over profit. Always remember that the people are the most valuable investment in the world. Character over conformity. Understand that it takes time to prove yourself for God. Character is developed. Character is cultivated. It doesn't come naturally. That comes by watching what comes out of our mouths. What kind of things we let go through our minds. What actions we take who we hang out with, where we go. Amen? Amen? Guarding our hearts with all diligence. Teamwork over competition. Understand we're all in this thing together, and even as God is no respecter of persons, so we do our best not to be either. Yeah. Amen. That we esteem others higher than ourselves. Kingdom over comfort. That we understand the reason that we live. Our ultimate purpose in being here is for our king and his kingdom. And lastly, that we serve, we serve rather than be safe rather than have security that we're always willing to serve. Has this blessed you tonight? Yes. Amen. Let's stand together. We have a few people gone tonight. Pastor Brandon is in Houston for his um, job. The boss sent him out there to um, represent his, their company. And then uh, Miss Candace is, she's in West Texas in San Angelo. Her younger brother is getting married this weekend. So, they're out there celebrating. And you might just say a prayer for them as they're, they're gone. And Don't forget, this Sunday, we're going to have a great time. We're going to have a great time. I'm expecting great things. We're going to see people receive demonstration of the gospel. We preach the gospel. We also believe in the demonstration of the gospel. Amen? Hallelujah. Let's lift our hands toward heaven. Father, we want to just take this moment here to say thank you. Thank you for saving us. Lord, help us to never, ever, ever get tired or get weary with the joy of our salvation or to ever get bored, ever think lightly of what you have done for us. But Lord, to always keep in remembrance the incredible salvation with which you have saved us, God, that you have called us out of darkness and brought us into your marvelous light, that you took us who were dead in our trespasses and while we were in that state, you demonstrated your love for us and sent Jesus to die for us. Hallelujah. While we were yet sinners, while we were dead, he made us alive. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. We're grateful for that. Thank you. Thank you that you did this by choice. It wasn't that they killed you. It was that you let it happen. 
You, you hung, it was love that hung you there on that cross. It was love that caused you to take that beating up on your back and that reviling and that ridicule and that rejection. You did all that. It was love that caused you to go even to the furthest place that is far from our minds and we'll never, ever have to experience. That is forsaken of God. But Lord, when you became forsaken, we became accepted. And we are grateful for that. Thank you that you have adopted us into the family of God. We are the children of God. Your spirit bears witness that we are children of God. Lord, help us to continually walk by faith. Help us, God, to reveal that righteousness, God, that is in us, that salvation that you did, that will every day, God, work that thing out. Hallelujah. So that it will affect the way we talk. It'll affect the way that we, we relate to our loved ones, God, our spouses and our children, God. It will, it'll affect how we work at our jobs and just our attitudes throughout the day, God. It will affect how we handle money. It'll affect how we do everything, God, how we love others, how we reach out to others, God. God, I thank you for this salvation. Lord, in it is everything. It's the total package. It's total, full deliverance, God. And Lord, in that, there is great life and life abundantly. Thank you, God, for your blessing on your people as they go out of here tonight. Lord, I thank you that they go in the name of Jesus. They go blessed, just like they've come in blessed. Lord, I thank you that no evil shall befall them and no plague shall come near their dwelling. You give your angels charge over them to keep them in all of their ways. The precious blood of Jesus, the blood of the everlasting covenant, cleanses them and covers their lives. A thousand may fall at their side and 10,000 at their right hand, but it shall not come near them. Thank you, Father God. I declare health and wholeness over their bodies and their minds, peaceful sleep at night, peace in their homes, grace and peace be multiplied to them. As they go from here, God, Lord, may they go in the love of God, Let the word of Christ dwell richly in their hearts. Thank you, Lord, for the opportunities that they will take for your kingdom. In the name of Jesus, amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. We want to invite you to join us in service Sundays at 9.30 or 11 a.m. and Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Go to onecausechurch.com for locations and events. You can also like us on Facebook or follow us on Twitter at One Cause Church.